0: Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. With your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowick, AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem.
1: While small in size, microelectronic components are an increasingly important part of many industries, ranging from transportation to healthcare to aerospace and defense. And we're about to learn a whole lot more about microelectronics in just a few minutes. I'm Karen Nowicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X, and I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. Today, we're going to have an incredible conversation with our featured guests, including Joe Sestari, Executive Director of Kite Rocket, Travis Kelly, President and CEO of Isola Group, and Chairman of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America, and Monica McDade, Project Manager at Leonardo Electronics U.S. Laser Solutions. These accomplished experts will be joining Bianca Beliga and I, Director of Marketing and Communications at the Arizona Technology Council, in discussing the most innovative ways— that their companies are developing and using Microelectronics. We have a lot of interesting ground to cover, so let's dive in. We always like to start off every segment of AZ TechCast by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves and the role that you play in your organization, as well as Arizona's technology ecosystem. Joe, do you mind starting for us first, please?
2: Sure. Thanks, Karen. My name is Joe Sestari. As Karen mentioned, I'm the Executive Director at Kite Rocket. Kite Rocket is a Phoenix-based integrated PR and marketing firm. Our largest focus is in the semiconductor microelectronics industry, but we also do quite a bit of work in sustainable living as well, which includes renewable energy. And I've been in the semiconductor industry since 1986.
1: What did you do before Skyrocket?
2: Well, I was a Kite Rocket client. Rocket. I said three. Skyrocket. Okay. No, no. Well,
3: talking <laughs> too.
1: Yeah.
4: yeah. You were that, a client a of theirs, very, Joe.
2: I was three times over. So um, I started as an electrical engineer. That was my education. I worked for uh, AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, when I got out of school. And I've done everything from semiconductor device design to equipment engineering to executive supply chain management, and uh, finally facility engineering and construction. And in between, I ran a startup software company.
1: So, to Bianca's point, when I said skyrocket, <laughs> it was intentional, apparently. It makes sense given your background and the way in which Kite Rocket and yourself are showing up in the industry and on behalf of our businesses. So, thank you for a great introduction. Travis or Monica, either one of you jump in there next, and, and then we'll hear from the last of you.
5: Great. Uh, Travis Kelly, I'm the president and CEO of Isola Group. And as you said, also the chairman of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. And that's why I'm excited for this conversation. So thank you for inviting me. There's a couple of things that really are important to understand when we say microelectronics. It's a a very large ecosystem and it can mean different things to different people. So a lot of times, the semiconductors, the wafers, that's associated with microelectronics. Well, printed circuit boards are equally as critical, right? If the chip's the brain, then the PCB's the body. So we say, at the, we say at the PCBAA, chips don't float. And that's really an important narrative that we use to help educate and advocate in Washington on behalf of that PCB market, where without those green boards, the printed circuit boards, your, your chips don't work and same vice versa. So I'm very happy to be on the show and let the audience know the importance and the complexities around the ecosystem.
1: So good. And Travis, your background, you've been with them for quite some time and and your interest in finding your way into microelectronics and the role that you're playing now.
5: My role is somewhat unique. So for the last 20 years, I've worked for a large private equity firm in New York City. And I've gone into companies in different C-suite positions: chief restructuring officer, chief executive officer, chief operating officer. And it's industry agnostic. So I've been in automotive, manufacturing, uh, oil field companies, things like that. I started with Isola back in 2018, and I've been with them ever since. So somewhat of a diverse background. But if I had to pick, you know, a sector that I've really focused on my entire career, it's, it's manufacturing, both from an automotive, industrial, and obviously technology. So, Isola is a manufacturing company that produces base material called laminate and prepray that goes into printed circuit boards.
1: Awesome. Monica.
6: So, I'm Monica McDade, and I'm representing Leonardo Electronics. My background's a little bit different. Uh, it's actually optical engineering. I started at Leonardo in 2014 as an engineering assembly manager. So, I'm with you, you know, manufacturing assembly production. That was kind of my forte there. Uh, So I was helping the engineering team build like the first brand new builds for some cutting edge uh, laser technologies. And now I'm currently serving as a project manager. So helping to get those engineering prototypes sort of products ready to to go into a a higher volume, a more robust sort of solution there in uh, kind of more of a production environment. And Leonardo is a semiconductor diode laser manufacturer here in Tucson. Very vertically integrated, so we do grow our own wafers. We assemble those laser bars into an array or a higher-level assembly, so that's how you supply the electricity and sometimes water cooling or conductive cooling. And then uh, we also have the capability to add micro-optics, beam-shaping optics, to depending on the customer's application to make that laser light more useful for whatever they're doing with it.
1: Great. Excellent. This is going to be a fun and informative conversation. Before we dive in with our first series of questions, I want to make sure that we give Bianca an opportunity to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about AZ Tech Council as well.
3: Thank you, Karen. Yeah, those are tough intros to follow up. So glad all of you could be here today. My name is Bianca Boliga. I'm director of marketing and communications for the Arizona Technology Council. I'm standing in for Steve Zylstra, our uh, fierce leader today as he is out of the office, um, but I hope to make him proud. So um, the council is the state's uh, premier trade association for science and technology companies. We have about 750 member companies right now, and they really do range in size from early stage startups all the way up to those larger household names. Um, And I would say that our three pillars of change really focused first off on events. We host over 100 in-person or virtual events every year, and those cover topics like cybersecurity, AI, medtech, you name it, we've probably done an event on that topic. Um, our second pillar is focused on public policy advocacy, so we do um, advocate for a pro-tech, pro-growth environment here in Arizona at the local, state, and federal levels, and finally, we offer a host of resources, especially for small businesses, so they can focus on innovation and what they do best without worrying about the administrative burdens that come with setting up a health care plan or a 401k plan or setting their employees up with discounted um, tuition at certain in-state educational universities. Uh, So we are really pleased to to be here today and can't wait to get started. And on that note, I know Travis kind of already got us started on this question, but how do each of you define microelectronics? You all work so differently within the microelectronics space. So I wanna know what it means to you. And how would you say that people are unknowingly using microelectronics in their day-to-day lives?
2: No, great question, Bianca. And I think, uh, as Travis uh, mentioned earlier, there are definitely different definitions for the class of microelectronics, depending on who you speak to. But for me, it's uh, maybe it's uh, obvious, but microelectronics in and of its name means small electronics. That by itself doesn't really tell us what that ecosystem looks like. But for me, it includes everything from, you know, traditional discrete semiconductor devices that we might be familiar with, whether that's memory or microprocessors for a computer. But it also includes wearables. Uh, certainly today, it includes um, uh, microelectromechanical micro electro- systems, or MEMS, uh, as they're typically known, which we find in our phones, in our cars, really all over the place today. It includes flexible electronics, which are used in all kinds of products, including wearables. And Folding phones, and it includes medical devices. So if you're talking about an embedded hemodynamic heart monitor or a glucose monitor for diabetes, all of those are part of the microelectronics ecosystem from my perspective. Did yeah, I, I hear I,
3: Monica say something about some smartphones over there? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure everyone's seen now the folding cell
6: phones. You know, that's definitely a a popular application right now.
5: Yeah, I think Monica and Joe hit the nail on the head. I mean, ultimately, you know, once again, the the ecosystem is relatively complex. So, you know, you can get into the end uses like the, the, the cell phones. But then as you go into the value chain, you can really understand the complexities that's involved to bring electronics to market. And, you know, if you can bifurcate that between defense and uh, consumables and commercial applications, infrastructure like 5G, and the more you peel back the onion on microelectronics, the more complex you see the supply chain. So, you know, it starts from chemicals and, and woven glass and copper. And, you know, obviously the, the the amount of suppliers and the complexities across the globe to bring all of it together mm-hmm. is what I think is extremely important. And we noticed the complexities in a lot of different supply chains during COVID when we saw um, shortages, you know, it re- and it was industry agnostic, right? We're focusing on electronics, but you could see uh, a lot of different um, end segments and industries struggling to get that supply chain corrected.
6: I have a little bit of a different perspective being in the laser market. You know, it's, it's, there's an electronic component, but you know, lasers are also, you know, we, I would consider Leonardo and microelectronics company because the things that we we, lasers we make are smaller than your palm and, some of them as small as the nail on your pinky finger. So they are, but a little bit of a different application there. You know, lasers are in so many things that we're using now. You know, your self-parking cars, self-driving cars. You know, I've got a robotic vacuum that goes around here and sweeps up dog hair. You know, it's great. It works at night. You know, it's got a laser guidance system on it. Um, you know, there's the refrigerators that will scan and tell you when you're out of eggs. I mean, that kind of stuff, it's,
3: it's everywhere. And you almost don't even even notice the applications anymore. So true. And I know that those, like you said, the smart cities, the internet of things, like there's microelectronics embedded into all of that. But I'd be curious to hear too, what are some of those key industries developing and using microelectronics? I mean, we've talked about the end products themselves, but we're also using microelectronics to produce additional microelectronics, if I understand correctly. Mm -hmm. So what are those industries and how are they using them?
2: Yeah, I think piggybacking on uh, Monica's comment about lights, you know, back in the l- lasers have evolved significantly over the last couple of decades. And today a laser is produced by a similar structure as a, as a semiconductor device. You know, so diodes are come in different, uh, kinds of Silicon bulls. And, and, uh, as Monica mentioned, they get, they get cut up and, and you're able to produce laser light. And so light in general is a huge opportunity for microelectronics whether that's a simple LED light that you use in your lamp or whether it's the basis for AR glasses, which today uh, there are a number of companies focused on. And the challenge there is to not only get the technology to work, but heat obviously is a big issue when you're putting them in a pair of glasses and transparency because that device has to be transparent to be able to see through. That typically is a light application, but people don't think of it that way. Uh, but it is the basis for augmented reality and a key thing. It's similar on the, whether it's the phone, as Monica mentioned, one of the most unique applications or innovations for a flexible electronic is the hinge on that Samsung phone. So that hinge itself is actually a pretty cool developed device that brings those two screens together, and you would never know it because it looks like a seamless piece of the screen when, when the phone is completely open. Same thing on the revolution for for televisions, solar cells, you know, solar cells were very primitive silicon devices, but the solar technology has advanced significantly in the last 10 years as well.
6: As a consumer, it's like hard to see how long these things take. So it's kind of interesting to work somewhere you get to peek behind the curtain and see, you know, we've been talking about folding cell phones for, you know, maybe eight, 10 years, and now you're just seeing them. where they're cheap enough or, or for the average person to have one, you know, you can go to a party and you see someone having one. So it's, it's cool to see, but as an average consumer, you wouldn't know all the work that goes into it and all the innovation and, and a lot of this stuff is really cutting edge. So it's fascinating. when You dig into it.
1: Travis, you want to add anything or should we move on to the next?
5: No, I, I, I think Monica and Joe covered it. Yeah. So yeah, per- absolutely. Perfect.
1: So let's talk specifically about your organizations then. And and/or your clients, where you're focusing on. I know we each of you in your introduction have mentioned a little bit. Have have we missed any holes? What's happening in the in the relationships that you have, and how are you leading leading the the charge in those
5: areas? Yeah, I, I can answer that two different ways. From from an Izola standpoint, I think once again, you know, how do we have a resilient and secure supply chain? So we have facilities all over the world, and in your neck of the woods, in Chandler, Arizona, we've invested roughly. million and a state-of-the-art R&D facility, quick turnaround facility, and it houses our corporate headquarters. So we do um, a lot of work there for the West Coast. And then we have a facility in South Carolina as well. So we're really looking at uh, flexibility and ensuring that we can continue to produce products all over the world. So should there be another pandemic or supply chain issues that we can continue to supply appropriately, Uh, across all regions. From a Printed Circuit Board Association of America standpoint, we're really focused on uh, the resiliency and security of the domestic supply chain. So we spent a lot of time uh, advocating, educating, and legislating on behalf of the microelectronics industry, primarily as it relates to printed circuit boards and substrates. And just recently, a couple weeks ago, there was a a bill reintroduced by uh, Anna Ishu, who's a Democratic uh, representative of Congress in California, and Blake Moore, the Republican, out uh, of uh, Utah. And what it's doing is it really levels the playing field for domestic microelectronics producers as it relates to PCB fabricators, whereby there's a 25% tax credit for any OEM that acquires an American made printed circuit board as well as investment into the actual industry itself. So it's really a nice uh, tactic in this bill because it's a pull strategy. So OEMs, uh, your large OEMs can acquire American-made printed circuit boards and receive an immediate 25% tax credit. And the actual fabricators, uh, not only for PCBs, but uh, PCB fabricators that may want to get into substrates for packaging, roughly $3 billion uh, R&D credit, if you will, for those companies investment from the government. So a lot, of, a lot of momentum right now. I think you know we spent a lot of time talking about chips, but chips don't float yet again. So unless you can package them uh, onto a printed circuit board, you're going to send them back to Asia. In theory, you're making the supply chain more complex. So a lot's happening right now domestically, and the PCBAA is really um, proud to be an advocate for that. That's fascinating. <laughs>
3: Joe, Monica, did you want to share um, a little bit about what your organizations or clients are working on in terms of microelectronics, maybe some some cool products that are in the pipeline?
6: Well, again, we've got a little bit of a different perspective, but uh, a lot of the stuff that we're doing is, is, you know, we've got defense applications, illumination, targeting, you know, high energy lasers uh, to use in those applications. And then, you know, some of our commercial applications would be manufacturing, right? Laser cutting, uh, laser welding, additive manufacturing. Medical is always a huge one for us. We do a lot of uh, laser hair removal lasers so that um, ebbs and flows with uh, the popularity of of those kind of cosmetic uh, procedures. So um, that's always a fun one. And then scientific lasers is, is one of the cooler ones that I think I've seen recently. Part of what's appealing about our product is it's very small for the high peak power that you can get. So it becomes really useful in some of these scientific applications. Recently, it was demonstrated about six months ago, laser fusion. So that was a very early sort of scientific thing, but that's putting in or getting out more energy from a system than you're putting in. So using a laser system, getting more output than it takes to to fire it up and and run it in the first place. So very early on, again, that's gonna take a long time to turn into anything cool, but that's the ultimate in green energy, right? just being able to to use light to produce something that's that's so open to the possibilities. So I expect if, uh, as this continues, you know, we're going to see companies pop up and try to harness that and, and turn it into something, you know, maybe we'll be powering our houses with that someday. I, I don't know what the future holds, but it's kind of exciting to see. Um, I also have heard about, you know, some of our products going into what, what they're calling very brilliant x-rays, so they can penetrate deeper than standard x-rays. Having a laser target there and and understanding the depth of penetration, depending on the wavelength and the power of the laser itself and how that can um, help diagnose in the medical field, maybe um, help treat things, uh, better imaging, things like that, less invasive procedures to really
3: advance that field. Monica, not to put you on the spot, but did you happen to make it to the International Day of Light in Tucson? I didn't, I've been before, so I did graduate
6: there. Uh, So we were part of it when when I was in school. But yeah, I'll have to make it back. I know that Leonardo was was part of it, but I wasn't able to attend myself this year.
3: Okay, I was just wondering. Yeah, I I wanted to give a shout out to our Optics Valley community here in Arizona. They're a committee of the Tech Council, but a wildly successful committee. They've got over 100 uh, companies in their network now. And every year, they put on an event called the International Day of Light, and it gathers all of these companies and community members to talk about the study of light on the actual like International Day of Light and all that goes into it and all of the products that they create and all of the day-to-day uses um, for the study of light in optics and photonics. So really, really fascinating. Just wanted to insert that plug before Joe weighs in. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's really cool. And it's fun to show. It's
6: totally it's a public event. Uh, So it's fun to see even kids teaching them what that means, and you know the running joke. If you talk to the students at the college down there, they're people don't know what optics is, so they think you're going to become an eye doctor. It's like no, 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 it's a lot lot different than that. Uh, So lasers is a is a kind of a subset of that.
2: And Tucson's a well recognized center of optics. I uh, I spent some time with several professors down there 20 years ago on laser spectroscopy. So uh, really a lot of exciting things. So yeah, when you when you think about optics, it, it does relate to seeing, right? And, and um, all of us mentioned it in one way or the other before. And so if you want an autonomous vehicle or any kind of autonomous device, vacuum like Monica mentioned, robotic surgery like the Da Vinci robot, then the need for resolution and for speed and accuracy on optics is incredible compared to what it was even five years ago. So very exciting part of the, the business for sure. And from a kite rocket perspective, as I mentioned, we have really two main practices, tech and sustainability. And today they couldn't be more integrated, right? To to achieve sustainability goals, you need technology because for one, you have to measure and understand what's going on before you can do something about it. No matter where you stand in your level of education or passion about climate change, it's a fact, right? And yes, the climate will change whether there's humans on the planet or not, but I hope that we are intelligent enough that we want to preserve some things that are important to all of us uh, for the future, right? So we should be aware of what our manufacturing businesses and really all of our businesses are doing, not because of politics, but because it, it matters to quality of life. And I think the one thing hopefully we can all agree on is that we want to always improve our quality of life. And so the technology that's necessary for that, whether it's water, whether it's food security, you know, we work with one of the largest apple and cherry producers in the United States. And you don't think about it, but the technology they're starting to embed in their storage facilities and things like that to get the apple at the ultimate time, right? You don't want it too ripe. You don't want it uh, not ripe enough. You don't want it to start decaying. And so the measurement technology in those cold storage rooms is pretty complex, right? Something you normally wouldn't think of when you go to the grocery store and look at produce. So in really every aspect of our life, technology is an enabling force. And yes, we're a marketing organization, but we're doing more and more strategic work uh, for our clients to be able to help them really in go to market strategy and understand uh, what the market needs, where the market's going, and how that might impact them uh, in the future.
1: I want to talk about the skills that are needed in this industry. Before we do that, though, you've each have given some great examples around innovative and transformative ways in which uh, your companies are using microelectronics and, of course, the industries. Travis has pointed out a couple of times that it's industry agnostic, right? There's so many different things. What other innovative ideas and stories can you share for our listeners and viewers around what's happening with microelectronics? Anything we've left out?
5: I, I mean, I, I, what, I, what we see is the technology curve is so steep. I mean, every year the, the innovation is very, very difficult um, to keep up with, you know, regardless we're talking about line widths. And not only do you have to have innovation in your product, but you have to have innovation in your processes to make your product. So you can't, you know, you can't have antiquated equipment and expect to keep up with that technology curve I think that's, you know, to bring it back to what we're trying to do as an organization at the PCBAA is level that playing field. Because, you know, right now, when you think about defense, um, just the, the defense market in the U.S., and primarily it makes up roughly 3% of the <clears throat> global market share. It's not enough revenue generation and free cash flow to continue to invest in businesses. So we really have to look. Uh, different segments that we want to protect. And what does protect mean? It means having a resilient and secure supply chain for, so I've heard a couple of times, medical you know, uh, infrastructure like 5G, obviously defense is one, aerospace, and even banking. So I think if we can get our voice around what are these industries that we want to have a resilient and secure supply chain for, if you pick those four or five, now you're talking 26% overall global market share. So the market's big enough where, CEOs running these microelectronic companies can write the, the underwriting thesis, right? The, the, the business case to continue to invest in their business and generate free cash flow to keep up with that technology curve. Because where it becomes difficult is if companies, domestic companies are competing, not with other com- foreign companies, but countries, right? Certain countries may subsidize that type of R&D and that type of innovation, uh, which is, you know, somewhat rare in the U.S. And I think that's why, you know, both the administration and Congress and doing, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the right things as it relates to the CHIPS Act, the bill I, I was uh, referencing, the Printed Circuit Board and Substrate Bill that was just uh, reintroduced two weeks ago. So you're seeing that momentum because that's a great question. I mean, ultimately, in order to keep up with that technology curve, you have to have the investment. And you also have to have that demand signal that generates free cash flow to continuously invest in, in the technology, both in terms of the product and the capability to produce that product.
2: Yeah, I think, no, and Karen, to answer your question, we we could talk for more than just the next half hour about lots of innovations. Um, you know, uh, uh, to me, medical and automotive well, transportation in general are two areas that, that are continuing to, revolutionize in rapid time. I mean, the technology curve and technology nodes are getting cut, not by half, but by an exponential value. And so um, whether it's an EV car, an autonomous car, or whether it's a rocket or a satellite uh, or 5G, as Travis mentioned, or smart pills. You know, today there are pills um, that that you can ingest and have a dosing system um, that can go into your body. They're using it for cancer treatment. I alluded before to a hemodynamic heart monitor, which is an implantable device that goes into your heart. It's batteryless, it's wireless, it's a microelectronic device. And the human body is the most toxic environment you could possibly have. And so designing something that'll survive in that environment is not trivial besides the electronic technology and communication technology alone, just the survivability. And so I think um, and you know, we we talked about COVID and Maybe this will be the last pandemic we'll see in our lifetime, I don't think so. But even so, whether it's food security on a normal basis, the world is different today. And the one thing about technology is people will always use it for good and people will use it for nefarious purposes as well. So we have to cover both sides of that spectrum from a business standpoint, from a geopolitical standpoint. And that alone is driving a lot of innovation. You know, we hear a lot about data centers And you can read lots of statistics about the amount of data that's getting created now on a daily basis and what capacity we're going to need for that technology. It's easy to go build a lot more data centers and the people that do that are enjoying a great uh, level of success. But the reality is we need to find different ways than just making bulk data storage. So that might not be as as exciting part of the business. But changing the way we store data today, you know, quantum computing is one of the most interesting applications for revolutionizing data storage. And it's really just in its early stages. It's very, today, very expensive, very complicated. But when that becomes uh, mainstream production, it will revolutionize what we do uh, in terms of compute power, in terms of data storage. It'll really be an amazing uh, revolution in the business.
3: Blowing my mind, Monica. Do you have anything to add to all of that? <laughs> I'm following along.
6: Some of that's so cool. I mean, I don't get to see a lot of the the electronics computing part, but um, you know, I agree with what Travis said. Trying to get more domestic manufacturer is is huge for the stability in in the supply chain. You know, there's not enough here uh, to support if some of these things really went to market or went into higher demand. So I'm, I'm. It's good to see and, and hear what's going on. Kind of behind the scenes that you don't get to see, but that, that will help the industry all as a whole.
2: And Travis, I'll put a plug. We we need to do we need to sponsor a joint venture between the uh, semiconductor wafer level packaging effort and the PCB Association because, Ooh. in some ways, what's happening happening you know used to be every chip got mounted or bonded or surface mounted to a board. Today, in wafer level packaging, there isn't any board, and so at the same time. I think we're doing a lot of great innovation in parallel. I'd personally like to see us do more uh, in a collaborative way. So so that seems like an exciting opportunity. It makes sense too,
5: Joe. I I agree with you hundred percent. I think those discussions are going to start happening in the very near future, you know, because once again, it is is an ecosystem, you know, it's not one microelectronics, microelectronic that, Controls everything, right? You have the chips, you have the substrate, you have the packaging, you have the PCB. So to your point, I mean, if people, people need to sit down and start figuring out, okay, how, how do you really, you know, look at this as a system solution, mm-hmm. right, as opposed yeah. to doing it in silos. So I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're spot on.
1: My favorite part of this show when these collaborative opportunities spark <laughs> and uh, and then hopefully down the road you guys can come back and say, hey, we remember talking about this. Joe threw it out there. Travis agreed and now look, we're three years into this this thing that we've created. love it. Uh-huh.
2: I forgot, did we sign a royalty agreement with you, Karen? <laughs> right. I,
1: I, I won't I won't cash in on that. I just love being sitting audience in the front row, kind of like my, what Monica was saying just a second ago. And I always think of Bianca and Steve in these moments because they really, on behalf of Arizona Technology, specifically here, but also, you know, beyond the borders of our state walls, they're constantly looking for how can we elevate and lift up and make those connections that are so necessary, as Joe and Travis just pointed out. So it, it always just tickles, tickles me when we have these kind of conversations to see what happens next. So I do want to make sure that we have a few moments to talk about um, talking about the skills. You've kind of planted the seed around, you know, what, what, what's happening in innovation. Before we do that, though, I want to make sure we give a proper shout out to our sponsor, Arizona Commerce Authority. They are AZ TechCast. 2023 innovation sponsor. Let's take a moment and hear from AZ, excuse me, Arizona Commerce Authority.
4: Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities, to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high quality living that makes life better here. I
3: always love that commercial. It just really brings up the energy. (laughs) So Karen, I know you were hinting at the skills required to work in this industry. So I want to know what kinds of skill sets are you looking for when you're recruiting for this roles? And how can we better engage students at all levels of education to know that there are job opportunities in microelectronics?
6: Bianca, there are so many opportunities. I mean, I think engineers is, is an obvious one, right? We've got the universities here that graduate Excellent quality engineers every year. I think that's a big appeal of Arizona. But even more so than than, you don't have to be an engineer to contribute in a meaningful way to this industry. We're always looking for. You know, it's, it's difficult to get technicians and operators. I mean, these are small things. You know, we do assembly. We work in a clean room. We we work under a microscope. You know, these things are not sort of off the street skills, but they're also not, you know, bachelor's, master's, PhD required. We have those opportunities. You know, we have some very niche sort of needs, but there's a huge need for quality technicians that don't have to go to get a four-year degree to be able to have a, a, a meaningful contribution here. And that's a constant need for us. The whole time I've been at Leonardo, it's always something that we're working with the community colleges, um, we're working with the high schools to to encourage people to go into technical fields to get technical certificates and associates' degrees and all kinds of things like that.
3: On the surface, I think engineering is, is kind of an obvious one, but there's there's a lot more to it than that. Travis, I saw you kind of nodding along when Monica was like, oh, it's not just the four-year degrees, it's about the trades, it's those skills too.
5: It, it's everything, and you know, just you know, it, it's so um it's a difficult question right because microelectronics once again means different things to different people and monica's absolutely right i mean controls engineers mechanical engineers electrical engineers you know they're always in high demand signal integrity engineers that's something that's very important in what isola does and it's very hard to find that skill set in the united states a lot of times you have to file for h1b visas and have employees come in from different countries and then you get into you know manufacturing a lot of young people don't want to work in manufacturing anymore so it's hard it's hard to recruit that and i think that's something that you know we have to focus on as a as a country it's not only stem right so you know we need to bring a lot of these skill sets back i think back in 1999 there was over 2000 printed circuit board fabricators in america that is now down to less than 140 so the problem is when you offshore industry, because I, I would argue that's offshoring an industry to go that to be that draconian from 2,000 down to 140 companies. When you offshore brick and mortar, you're offshoring that technological know-how, mm-hmm. and then when something happens like a pandemic or you know there's geopolitical animosity, then countries start looking internally saying, "Hey, we we need to have once again a resilient supply chain." well it's a lot it's a lot more complicated than just rebuilding brick and mortar it's trying to go get that skill set that you offshored 20 to 30 years ago and then it's not just doing it in house but how do you get the universities right how do you get that stem back into the schools so it's 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 it sounds like a simple question <laughs> But, I mean, it would take a lot more than 30 minutes to really do a deep dive into it. But I see a lot of issues, depending on what area microelectronics are referring to, and a lot of the work that we need to do as a country to really get that back into the schools, back into the companies on on the the job training, as we continue to see, I'll say, a push for reshoring and nearshoring.
2: I couldn't agree more. And I would, I'd have to say that uh, we offshored for some of the wrong reasons uh, over the last 30 years, but... uh but when Wall Street expects you to do it, you kind of have to follow suit, right? It's tough to be a dissenter and, uh, and keep your stock price and your peer group uh, the same. So always a challenge. But no, I agree with what Monica and Travis said. I spend a lot of time in workforce development. I'm a junior achievement leader in, in Central Texas. I've been doing uh, workforce development all over the country. I ran two large specialty contractor businesses where we designed and installed infrastructure for pharmaceutical biotech and semiconductor companies. And I had thousands of uh, pipe orbital welders and electricians as part of my staff. And although they didn't go to a four-year college to become an engineer, they were extremely talented, extremely smart people. And we as a country in general, and and like my daughter said, dad, if you don't go to college, you're a loser. Well, it's a shame for anybody to feel that way because it's not true. You can make a great career uh, in the trades, and in fact, we need tradespeople now more than ever. Uh, with all this investment going on in the U.S. and technology, it still starts with it still starts with concrete and steel. People don't think about it that way, but if we don't have hands and we don't have trade people, and right now we're suffering around the country for sure in every area. We don't have enough people, and the same group of people keep migrating from one spot to the other. Unfortunately, when things are happening in a coterminous way, you can't do that, right? You need people everywhere. You need them in Arizona and Ohio and California and Oregon and New York. And, and so we need people in all aspects of the, the business. And so, yes, it, of course, engineering, and as Travis said, in a lot of these businesses, there's very specific needs that you can't get everywhere. And sometimes they do have to come from outside the United States, but we are developing a better foundation. We are starting to realize that trades are important. And in the kite rocket case, you know, we hire journalism and PR majors as well. And so you have to learn, even though chat GPT or any other AI program might get you there, you still need human interaction. And we've actually tried it out on some press releases and things like that. And most of them read like a robot wrote the press release. <laughs> And so you don't right. You want voice and you want personality. And when you're trying to recruit people or you're trying to present your new product, you have to do it in a compelling way, right? And and we're not quite there yet on that. I mean, AI is amazing, and it's been around for decades. It's just now kind of the hot thing, right? And so um, no matter what you want to do or what your skill set is, there's a place for you in the microelectronics ecosystem. It you don't have to be a technologist. By any means. There's a home for everybody.
6: I agree with you, Joe. And in the world of student debt as well, I mean, you can, you can go to some of these technical programs and it's much more inexpensive, much less expensive. You know, you can graduate with no debt and then start a job that you're getting paid quite well, especially in Arizona. You know, our cost of living is much more reasonable than other areas. And a lot of these companies, I mean, I know Leonardo has I'm sure you guys do have uh, tuition reimbursement programs where you could work as a Mm -hmm. technician or an operator or what what have you, and while you're going to school, if you wanted to further your education. The traditional path is not for everyone. You know, not everyone's going to go get a bachelor's degree or four more, and there's so much need for that, and I do feel like the more I hear about it, I mean, uh, Pima Community College here just had this whole big expansion into this um, tech center here, so there's more of a push. As of i would say maybe the last five years than i've seen in the five ten years prior i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that that those uh, technician sort of opportunities will will yep. will see fruits of the labor there and we'll have more of that workforce yeah
2: and i i wanted to make one comment back back to the chips act and i think one of the best things about the chips act isn't the money it's not the 52 billion dollars it's the awareness at the highest level, which we haven't had, sadly, in the United States to date. So that awareness, and hopefully it becomes a programmatic every year issue, right? It's not about this one-time uh, distribution of funds. And a big part of the CHIPS Act is about education and training. And I'm and I'm excited about that, probably more excited about that than I am about uh, the individual investments going to the companies that are actually going to make products. So I encourage everybody to understand what's going on. You don't get you don't have to get involved in politics, but at all levels, city, state, federal government, technology is our infrastructure in the United States. I mean, yes, of course we need better roads, better bridges, all that, but but what's got us to this point is technology. What will get us to the next generation and the one after that is technology. So we need to treat it like valuable infrastructure. We need to make the right investments. We need to build the ecosystem. And as Travis said, that we need to to build the competency. Whether you scale it around the world, and you have to, right, it is a global business. You need to have control and competency uh, here. And that's, to me, the key thing. And it all starts with education.
1: Bianca, was it the last episode we did around workforce development? Oh gosh, I think the last
3: one was on optics and, pho- oh no, it was workforce development. Right. It was innovating the, yeah, yeah, it was yes. workforce development.
1: So mm-hmm. for our, our, our listeners and viewers, and of course our panelists, I, I, I keep thinking about that conversation we had, um, we had ASU, we had not Pima College, but Arizona Central College, I think on.
3: It was and, Arizona Western College and then Pima County J
1: Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So a great episode to go back and listen to with AZ Tech Council, um, AZ Tech Cast. Again, it just is ringing true. Everything we keep hearing the same thing, and I think if more people are are paying attention, and I Joe, I love that ma- yeah. the connection you made with with what's happening at that that law end oh. of things that Travis introduced us to, then we can make a difference. I'm a former assistant principal for a K. Five school. And I've got a 15-year-old who just finished last uh, yesterday moving into his sophomore year. He wants to be an engineer. And I don't know that that's the path for him as far as financially to pay for a four-year college right now. And so I just keep thinking, how can I direct him and guide him? And is the guidance team at his high school the right team to help us make those decisions? I'm grateful for sitting in conversations like this (laughs) because I can tap into people like you and say, hey, what's the best next step? I don't know that every parent is so fortunate to have such a wide range of conversations. So the more we can do on behalf of really where we're headed as a country and making sure we have the workforce to to be as strong as we are, these are where those conversations take place. So we're grateful for that. Shall we talk about supply chain,
3: Bianca? Yeah, I'm thinking, (laughs) talk to me about U.S. and talk to me about like international stage. I want to cover things like supply chain I want to talk about the impact of the Chinese tech embargo and really how all of that is impacting microelectronics here in Arizona.
5: Well, that's a lot. That's <laughs> a lot to unpack.
3: I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're up for the
1: challenge, though, Coach. Yeah, give well. us the I micro that- piece of it. <laughs>
5: that's yeah. a
2: AZ. That's a series we're going to start, right?
5: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. That'll be part of our joint venture. We'll we'll have to yeah. go through geopolitical issues in the <laughs> global landscape, but. There's obviously a lot going on in the world, and I want to say with you know. Something that Joe said: you can't be myopic. So we hear about onshoring and reshoring, and that's important. But it is an international, global economy, and I think that has to, you know, be the the umbrella over everything. So how do you once again create these supply chains for critical end use applications? And once again, we can argue. You know, is that medical and infrastructure and banking and obviously defense and aerospace. But it's really understanding, all right, which which end segments do you want to have protected and ensure that you have continuity of supply, because it, as we saw, and I, I know I go back to the pandemic, but it's recent in everyone's minds. You know, when ports were closing in China, so there was a you know obviously very few shipments going out. Then our ports were full on the wet. Well, our, our ports were full all over the U.S. And then they were doing slow steaming because you couldn't have 180 boats outside California. So they just slowed down. And my point being, we have to look at the global supply chain and really pick and choose where we think we can locate and relocate uh, different functions for microelectronics to ensure that that resilient supply chain exists. And part, it, it can't all be in the U.S., but can it be in North America, you know, plus allied countries for certain end use applications? And I think that's really where, you know, people are trying to get their voice around right now. But it's it's always going to be a global economy. And I think, you know, there's obviously geopolitical issues uh, all over the world right now with Taiwan and China and the U.S., obviously Russia and Ukraine. So how do you navigate these turbulent waters? And that's what a lot of companies are, are dealing
2: with today. Yeah. I mean, if you look at anything that might have been positive out of the pandemic, it was to elevate the, the knowledge and the awareness of supply chain uh, on a global basis, right? And, uh, and I think there's still a lot of people, and I was a supply chain executive, so people always think of it, oh, it's purchasing. That's easy, right? You just buy parts. Well, it's much more than that. And it's become even more sophisticated, as Travis said. And so, And even some big successful companies have done a poor job of mapping their supply chain and understanding where their risk is all the way back to raw material and how many single points of failure they might have. Right? So you tend to go to your first line of defense, which is the supplier you're actually buying the product from, but you should be paying attention to everything. And so once again, I mentioned concrete and steel. Well, we still, until we learn how to live in a virtual house or make things in a virtual factory, maybe someday, but, um, we need those raw materials. And and I don't believe the U.S. is necessarily that steel production is what we really want to scale in the U.S., right? But it's still a critical piece of what we do. Uh, plastic raw material, that was a big issue in the pandemic. We we're still, people are suffering from 50 week lead times to get specialty plastic material that are used in semiconductor manufacturing to deal with certain chemistries. Um, so there are a lot of things that, that people are not paying attention to um, from a raw material standpoint, and that's critical. And so supply chain is really a complete ecosystem from the time you get the raw material to the time you make a finished product. Ukraine was critical to the semiconductor most of the xenon and neon used in the industry came from Ukraine. And the largest plant in Maripol that was producing that plant, we probably all were aware of it. It was on the news, right? And it was one of the first targets. And so um, that's a big issue. Same thing with a lot of the rare earth minerals that are used in specialty magnetics and, and microelectronics aren't in the US, never were in the US. And so we have to be aware of that and be able to, to secure that in the right way. Lithium, same thing. A lot of it's in South America. And difficult to get to, and costly to get to, and and not always safe to get to. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that we have to be aware of when you think about supply chain.
5: It's no longer just buying stuff, right, Joe? No,
2: not <laughs> at all. That's the easy. That's the easy part. I agree.
6: Well, like any of these questions, it's a it's a, an onion of an answer. You can peel it back and look at the strategy, but there's a lot to it.
3: No doubt. And I know we are we have about five minutes left. I mean, I'm already seeing so many spinoff conversations that we can plan for future episodes. Well, and Travis um,
1: and Joe both said they've got another segment. So we got to invite you guys yeah. all back again. You've already planted the seed a couple of times. <laughs>
3: right. We're going to make it happen. But I'm curious, as we think about our competitiveness on a global level, both from the U.S.'s perspective, from Arizona what steps can we take from a public policy and private investment perspective to make sure that we're boosting our domestic competitiveness, but also our regional competitiveness here in the Southwest?
5: Depending on what angle you're, you're looking at the question, I think I think companies, and I think actually Joe and Monica said this at the beginning: U.S. companies, Arizona companies, can be competitive right? But you have to look at smart factories. So Mm -hmm. the antiquated, and that's, you know, goes back to the technology curve that we were discussing er earlier, because you have to reinvest in the business. So you have to generate enough cash that you can reinvest and and ensure that you are using the, the most capable tools and people to become efficient, right? I think companies that can't keep up with efficiencies as it relates to adopting new technology, We'll struggle to be competitive, right? Because when the day ends, a business is people, process, and technology, right? People are, are you rely on your people to make the right decisions, have problem solving skills, and make the right decisions based on the, the information at the time. You know, processes, we, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to define the right processes to ensure that you have efficiencies within your facilities and in your company. And then technology, not so much as technology as we discuss here, but technology as an enabler for the people and those processes to come to fruition. So I think in order to be competitive, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, US being competitive against foreign nations or Arizona centric, it's really, how do you adopt all these different technologies and strategies to ensure you can be efficient. Cause that, that, that's what competitiveness means, right? It's constantly innovating and, ha- and having a value proposition that people desire.
2: Completely agree. And I think, you know, if I look at the foundation level to some extent, you can say that the industry's come back home when you think about Arizona because what's the basis of a semiconductor device? Silicon, where does Silicon come from? Sand. Um, there's a little bit of sand in Arizona, right? So, just a tad. <laughs> in, so, in some ways, maybe you can say it was it came back home, but I think to Travis's point, we are today an integrated global economy. We're an integrated, just we're just an integrated society. Period. And when that happens, there's pros and cons, right? And we've all seen a lot of that play out. Some, some in conflict, some in progress. Um, hopefully, the progress will outweigh the conflict side, uh, uh, and. The, a longer term period but we have to have a global strategy you have, you have to there's no way you can like the China issue right now is a big issue because it's a third of the world's population you can't expect to succeed economically if you're going to cut off a third of your customer base on a global especially for a technology industry because any any country that that happens to especially one with resources like that they're going to become self-sufficient and then it really presents a very difficult dynamic to overcome. So we have to figure out a global strategy, but we have to have always local execution uh, and efficient local execution. So you have to think of it as kind of a hub and spoke concept, right? So there's there's development that happens in a consolidated well, but there's dissemination and distribution that has to happen on a local basis. And more and more because of efficiency and because of technology that's, that's uh, a- enabling low cost, we're able to do things today in close proximity to the cost, to the demand. Uh, we don't have to go do it 8,000 miles away for cost reasons. Why? Because of technology. So I think to me, that's the key.
1: We really could make this a, a, a series within a series. This is fantastic. We greatly appreciate the expertise and all the information y'all have shared. We do have just a few minutes left, and I want to make sure we have a chance to have all three of you speak to, and I think Joe kind of started this conversation for us. What is the future? What does the future hold for microelectronics? What else are we, we need to stay global. We need to make sure it's inclusive. What else are we looking at for the future of microelectronics?
6: I'm going to say medical and scientific. I mean, that's where I, there's always a lot of talk about defense, um, but some of these medical applications from a laser standpoint, and then some of the ones that Joe and Travis have also mentioned, you know, having, I haven't heard of the, what was it, the pill? Joe, the, the technology pill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard that. And it's fascinating. So I, I think that as we grow as a race, right, in figuring out some of these medical things, the innovation is mind-boggling to see what we can do. And I, I think that's going to continue and try to get less invasive methods and ways mm. as well. And the scientific world, you know, sustainability, I think, Joe, you mentioned that a couple times. It makes sense technology is going to be part of it and technology is what's going to bring us you know better roads and and better technology you know uh, someday we'll have flying cars right you know we're going to need to innovate for those kinds of things too the future is really fascinating the, i
3: thought we'd uh, have them by now honestly
2: the jetsons was just a, a purview into the future it wasn't a cartoon right um, <laughs> so no i think uh, and i mentioned before and it's a broad area right but to me it is about quality of life and whether that's quality of life because you're able to get to work faster and safer, or whether it's because you live five years longer or because you have a prosthetic device uh, that enables you to walk again, or whether it's implantable technology that helps with stroke prevention or, or rehab. I mean, it's amazing what, there's not enough hours in the day and you can spend all day Googling, but Googling doesn't always give you the the, the real answers. But anyway, there's, just there, there isn't any boundary or end. There is no end of the runway or end of the roadmap. And we don't even know what the 10-year, 20-year, 50-year roadmap might look like, right? You can imagine, you can dream. And at this point, we all look at things that we have today and maybe we take for granted. And 20 years ago, people would have said, wow, you're crazy. So uh, I don't think there's anything that we can't do. It's just a matter of, uh, of all working together to make it real.
5: Yeah, I, I agree with everything Monica and Joe said. I think, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think, once again, depending on the angle of the question, you know, I think we're going to see nations put a lot of effort and money and investment behind growing out their regional expertise as it relates to technology because it's a technology race so i think you're going to see you know to joe's point you know coming back home you know the the, the way for uh, the foundries i think i think you're going to see this in all all different countries i think not only is technology going to grow leaps and bounds um trying to you know in the technology curve that we've already discussed but you're going to see a, a huge race by nations to have the most cutting edge technology regardless if it's you know, the artificial intelligence, if it's the manufacturing, the processes of making microelectronics. But I think it's going to be fascinating to watch over the next couple of decades.
6: I am looking there's forward. There's one thing that I see that's common. It's like there's all these businesses are, are really on the cutting edge. So everything is new. It's, it's almost hard to say where we're going to be in five to 10 years because everything is so pushing the limits of physics.
1: Great. True. We, we will definitely have you all back. I can see Bianca already, her mind is, is racing with ideas and you've planted the seeds for us. So thank you. You've been a fantastic panel. We're grateful for your time today and we'll go ahead and phase out and we'll have you guys stay on for a moment to properly thank you and take a couple photos. Today's AZ Tech cast was brought to you by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. So we always are deeply appreciative of the team over at ACA. If you're interested in becoming a podcast participant or a sponsor for Council's AZ TechCast, then please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to learn more about the opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, Karen Awicki, thanks for joining us for AZ TechCast.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.